<clears throat> so when I was in Albuquerque, uh, when Eric and I were there, um, I don't know if you know this, but the, the Herons attend the church that Justin is coming from. And so I'm sitting in Albuquerque thinking I'm not going to know anybody. And uh, it's in the passing of the peace or maybe right after the service or something. And Jeannie comes up, but I didn't, you know, you're like, you're totally out of context. I'm like, you look so familiar. And then she's like, hey, tell everyone in Redeemer we love them and we're for them and, uh, and that we're doing well and, we're, and to keep praying for us and we'll keep praying for you. So greetings from the Herons, uh, one of our cross-cultural workers, if you didn't hear in our prayer. Um, so today um, is the best weather to start Advent in. It's just perfect. Uh, I'm not in charge of these things. I don't have a red phone. Uh, you know, I usually say I'm in sales, not management. Um, but if I could have dialed this one up, I would have. Into darkness and waiting. It's a strange time in the life of the church. It's called Advent, which is the Latin word meaning coming. And it's always been the start of the church year. Today, we start, and we start in darkness, and waiting, and hope. It's about the advent, the coming of Christ, both His first coming and His second coming. This is why the squirrel came to see us. A squirrel prepares for the dark, the dark and cold days. It gathers and hides acorns in the ground. I love that it's been given an innate wisdom to make some fake holes that don't have any uh, acorns in them, just to throw off, the, throw off the other ones or throw off anybody else who would get it, and they can store them in all sorts of places. It readies for the cold and the dark, and then it waits. It waits for the days to become brighter, for the sun to rise and shine. God gave innate wisdom in the squirrel's body and brain to be ready to hope and prepare with hope for the darkness. It's an instinct at the core of their beating, being to be ready to wait for a new day. Now, y'all, December 25th is almost certainly not the day Jesus was born, his first coming. And the truth is, he's got one in 365th chance of coming on December 25th in his second coming. Unless it's leap year, that's even worse. In fact, Christians started celebrating Advent in December, culminating on the winter solstice, because it was a Roman holiday and they got some days off. Same for Easter, by the way, just in case that throws anything off for you. But I love it because Christians have always figured out how to integrate into the cultures, their, 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 their host cultures, as they learned how to live the gospel out in their lives. And they did it best when they were an oppressed people group. Not so good when they were an empire. So this winter solstice holiday, the shortest day of the year, the longest night of the year, says, oh, we're going to start here, learning to wait in the dark for the light of the world to come. The sun would come to earth and return, his coming and his second coming. At the end of the sermon, we're going to hear the children sing 
By the way, they just gave me, uh, for the next three weeks, my closing illustration, which is just them singing, so win for me. And they're going to sing words that you will find familiar, both in the text and because it's Christmas time and you've heard Handel's Messiah's um, Hallelujah Chorus. By the way, December 12th, Wait Chapel this year, the symphony is playing, go for it. What would inspire such an epic sound? What would, what would have taken over Handel's, uh, uh, what was the muse, the spirit that took him over to create something? In 24 days, his, 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 the person who worked with him was like, I can't get him to eat, I can't get him to sleep. He just, he just, it's just in his head and heart, he's just trying to get it out. This most universally celebrated art, what passion must have invaded his world, in a way, though, creates such musical splendor. I'll read it to you. But there will be no gloom for her, for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he's made glorious the way of the sea which is a region, the land beyond the Jordan, another region, and Galilee of the nations, or Galilee of the Gentiles, another region. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, sometimes translated the valley of death, the shadow of the valley of death, on them the light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You've increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, God's, and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, Israel's, you, God, have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. That's a good fire. For to us, a child is born. To us, son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called. And I wish you could like hear how the ancients read this this is actually one long name. It's a singular title. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting God, Prince of Peace. And over Advent, what we're going to do is divide those up, quarter of a name at a time, and walk through them. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. My favorite punctuation, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And God bless the reading of his word. Now this is that famous passage in Isaiah, and it's a it's a prophecy of hope of this coming child amid darkness. 
I mean, it's clearly set in darkness. The, the, the stage of both Advent and this prophecy is a stage that's set with a single light amid all darkness. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, shadow of death, on them the light shone. It just begins in darkness. The people were in anguish, the Scripture says. They experienced contempt from the Lord. They, they, there was war and a yoke and a rod, and there were trampling boots and bloody garments. This is where this prophecy comes into. It is to this darkness that the child is promised to come. And darkness, most of the time in Scripture, is darkness and all the things that it's described, which means it's somewhat of a metaphor, too. It's not just for the sin and violence and judgment in their day where the Assyrians were coming in and had already come in. It's darkness represents Israel's own failure and folly, how their own hearts and minds and wills turned from God. The promised child comes to us because they have walked in darkness, and they've also walked by darkness. And it was, it was similar to this when Jesus shows up as well. Isaiah wrote these words 700 years before Jesus showed up, but they rang true in Jesus' day too. Darkness was Isaiah's reality from which this prophecy comes, and it is the reality of Jesus' day where this prophecy is fulfilled. He came to a people in darkness. They too were caught among global powers at war. And you guys, Jesus didn't enter a really cute crash. It's a trough. Do never forget that King Herod ordered the massacre of every child under two. Utter government-sponsored infanticide. The manger was not just a dirty place. It was a dangerous place because Herod's henchmen were around looking for children. Jesus was not born in a silent night or a calm night. The only thing that was bright was this star that these Zoroastrians called Magi followed. I'm pretty sure there was some crying he made. And if he weren't crying, you could hear in the distance the cryings of mothers and fathers and the rage of Herod's henchmen. Not silent, not calm. And yet, in the middle of that darkness, a light shone. I always say we should, we should create little Herod figurines for all of our nativity sets. And then have to explain them to people. <laughs> darkness was Isaiah's reality. Darkness was Jesus' reality. And darkness is our reality. We too walk in darkness. And we see the boots of tramping warriors and bloody garments. We see the sin of the world. And if you're honest enough to admit it, you see the sin in your own world, in your own heart, mind, actions. The way our hearts and minds and wills and hands hide in the dark. 
sometimes perpetuate the dark. The sin in us reveals, complements, if you will, the darkness of our worlds. And it is precisely into these three worlds that these words are given to us. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called, first quarter of his name, Wonderful Counselor. Which was necessary. If you go back a little bit in Isaiah, you realize that Israel is actually um, consulting with mediums and spirits. They, they, they see the darkness of the world and they can't figure it out and they're not trusting God to do it, so they go to their own devices. Anybody know we consult our own mediums and spirits now of prosperity and safety and all sorts of other ridiculous things. But they're all those figure eight balls we grew up with. Oh, figure eight? Nope. Thank you. I didn't have one, but my friends did, and I thought it was really cool. Magic eight. That wasn't in my notes, in case you're wondering. And I don't want to sound trite here. In fact, I absolutely want you to experience the profundity of what I'm saying, even though you've heard it a thousand times before. Jesus is the wonderful counselor, the long-promised Messiah that comes into our darkness and helps us even when we rebel and go to other counselors. And he has come to us. He fulfilled Isaiah 9 fully with his life and his teachings. Not only was he the one who was born unto us, he is the one that died for us and then rose from the dead. He is the wonderful counselor who went to the Galilee of the Gentiles, actually came from Galilee. He, he, he started his ministry in what is Zebulon and Naphtali. He's fulfilling these prophecies in his very presence, in his very being. He is the light that has dawned amid the darkness. Emmanuel, the, the child that was born to be with us. And 700 years after that prophecy, Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, shone forth as a bright light bringing the wonder of his counsel in a world lost in darkness. And he still does. And it wasn't just for Israel itself, but to all the pagan people, hereditarily, like most of us. To the Galilee of the Gentiles, to the nations, the Goyim. And 2,000 years later, we know him as one to wonder at, as he gives his counsel. It is his title, and it is his being. And what I want for this sermon, as it launches us into Advent, is to to begin to wonder at his counsel and wonder at his wonderful counsel. That's it. Read the passage over and over again. That'll work. This whole Advent season exists in order to reorder our vision and affections towards Jesus, the one who is longed hoped for that brings that bit of light that we can't see so easily at times, that shines forth into the darkness of our world. I want you to think about Jesus' teaching. When they tried to trap him, like all the time, he would confound the Pharisees. He'd tell them things like, give to Caesar what is Caesar. And everybody's like, dang it. His tr- the trick questions that came his way about marriage and will somebody be righteous or not. And he's like, don't worry, there's no, no marriage or giving a marriage in, in heaven anyway. It's going to be all right. He would be silent when they questioned his authority. 
But in one point, he actually is being prosecuted. He says, actually, I have authority over you. And then goes back to silence. He told people he was the Lord of the Sabbath. In that context, there's only one. And he healed people and claimed to be able to forgive people's sins. Which is why they picked up stones, some of them, to, to, several times to try to kill him. But more often they sat with kind of a hush mouth like, I don't know what to do with this guy. But there were several. Even if they were confounded and wondered by his teaching. Even with those frustrated, they could see that saw their, the, the Pharisees' inability to trap him. I love how the Gospels put this on several occasions. The crowds marveled at his words. Just marveled. You know what that is? Wonder. Just look. Just let it in. Let, it, let you see it. He said that before Abraham was, I am. He said that people are worth more than the sparrows, and God takes care of all the sparrows. He told them to love God and their neighbor, and he meant the Samaritans. Those are the bad people in Jesus' world. Not by Jesus, you know what I mean. He said to turn your cheek when someone slaps you. To love your enemies. He stood over the dead body of his friend. He said, I'm the resurrection. He gave us the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes? Go back down that road a little bit. See if that's not wonderful counsel. In front of an unjust court, as I said before, though he was silent most of the time, he said, you have no authority over me. Hanging from the cross, this Jesus asked his father not to hold the sins that were coming right at him, to not hold those sins against those who were perpetrating those sins live. I don't know how to say this. Well, I do. I'm about to. Jesus was the most effective, powerful teacher, counselor, guide and the wor- that the world has ever known. Period. Exclamation part. And Jesus worked wood for 30 years, only taught for three years, had no formal education, no place to lay his head, and he picked a bunch of ragtag guys who would probably kill each other most of the time or totally be not in agreement or in a group, and he turned the world upside down. Wonderful counselor. No one, no one in history or in the future will ever bring the wonder and the counsel that Jesus has brought to this world. Period. Exclamation point. And the wonder of it all, my friends, the wonder of the counselor, it's not just that his guidance and he was real, real smart. It's who he was. His very life and his person. Because the beauty of what he was doing in his counsel was not just pointing to the ideas of things that he was incredible at, of course, but he was shepherding them towards the grace that is found in the Father, Son, and the Spirit, in Him, and life in the kingdom, where the government will never be upended in His kingdom. 
He was moving us towards the grace that we could find in Him, in the Father, in the Spirit. And it's, so it's not just that He gave great advice, which He absolutely did. But His advice was to come toward the Father and the Son and the Spirit, to have life in the Trinity. And then provide that through His life, death, and resurrection. The wonder of the wonderful counselor is that he had the power to transform us, forgiving our sins and freeing us into new life. That's the wonder of the wonderful counselor. Look, the best gurus, Sherpas, whatever, any, any kind of guide kind of thing you have, any kind of counselor, lawyers, therapists, guess what they can't do? They can't heal you. They can't forgive you. They can't make you right with God. You just can't. No, no gig on any of those guys. When Jesus said he was the resurrection and the life, he was guiding Lazarus' family like a true grief therapist, if you will, and he wept with them like a good counselor would do. And then he said, rise up. And he raised Lazarus from the dead. He took the burial clothes off the guy. You might say the clothes that were rolled in the blood of darkness. When Jesus taught at the temple and he said that this would be destroyed and in three days be restored, he was on his way to his execution. And he knew that his father would restore all things, even through the suffering that he would take. When Jesus was hanging there, calling out, that the Father would not count the sins that were being exacted upon him at that very moment. At that very moment, his suffering and death would be the thing that would be able to fulfill his requirement. My death. My resurrection. The very thing that would allow sinners to be freed. He rose from the dead to vindicate it all. All of his teaching. All of his wisdom. All of his counseling. And so that means something so beautiful for our bodies and souls while we walk in darkness, that we can trust Him. I'm not sure who you are or where you're coming from, whether you're a Christian and you've been a Christian as long as you can remember, whether you're new to the faith or you're like kind of sneaking back in and seeing if it is all, what's all the hoopla again, or if you have some kind of old, n- old memory of something beautiful. I don't care if you like don't really know what to do with Christians or actually just dislike them. I'm not sure if you are uh, lonely from without friends or you're frustrated with the ones you've got or family. I don't care if you're a pastor of a church, sitting in the pews with a growing sense of frustration about who you are, who God is, and what all this is, and all I've got for you, and it is enough, is that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, the long-promised Messiah. And it's hard. It's difficult. But he is the one that's come to not just show us the ways of the world, this kingdom of God, this governance that will have no end forever and ever, and that the Lord of hosts will make it do, will, will do it. But he brings us himself to walk in the ways of his beautiful counsel. God in Christ has done has said, look, sin's not going to win. Your darkness is no match for me. My, long, my love is stronger than your folly. Certainly my counsel is greater than your foolishness. My wonder is brighter than your darkness. 
And he's saying, look around, Israel. Look around, Gentiles. Jesus is the promised, wonderful Messiah. And it's hard in the space of darkness, where we all live to some degree, to keep your eyes on that light that is coming. That light is shown brightly. And as we go through Advent, we hope that your experience of that will get brighter and brighter so that Christmas Day, it's all rejoice and no draw near. But I promise you, He is the great light. Stay in it. He gives us hope by the light of His counsel. He gives us hope because He's the wonderful counselor who's embodied all that hope and light has provided a way for.